welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I am Andrew Rayburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. Now, this first episode of 2023 is a slightly different one. Uh, Regular listeners will know this podcast is usually hosted uh, by Steph Fairbairn. Well, this week we're turning the tables and she'll be the focus of our interview. Why now? Uh, Well, because I'm excited to say she's just joined the uh, Soccer Coach Weekly family on a permanent basis after what uh, must have been the longest loan deal in history. Um, Steph is originally from Newcastle in the northeast of England, uh, the city that brought you uh, such soccer luminaries as Paul Gascoigne, Alan Shearer and um, Andy Carroll. Uh, But she now lives in London, uh, where she coaches girls at Dalmain Athletic. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. We'll cover various topics, uh, including her coaching journey, her her philosophy uh, and the importance of talking as well about mental health in football. Uh, Steph, welcome as a guest anyway to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. Thank you, Andrew. A little bit odd, but uh, thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, great to have you. Uh, firstly, you've asked this uh, of many coaches over the last uh, year to 18 months or so on both the uh, the Soccer Coach Weekly and Women's Soccer Coaching uh, podcasts. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your coaching background and the journey that's brought you here. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about how I, might, how I might do this in the best way. So I grew up, like you said, in Newcastle, where football's a bit of a, a religion, um, I actually originally did a coaching badge when I was really young, a sports leader badge when I was at high school. Anyway, went on to to play, moved to London. And then I think I was maybe about, when I was about 23, 24, I stopped playing. Um, and I realized I wanted to get into coaching for a few reasons. One, I was doing my journalism training um, to be a sports journalist. And I wanted more insight, I suppose, into what I could write about football. Um, two, I knew I wanted to work with children, with young people. And uh, three, when you live in London, people think because it's big and there's a, you, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of opportunity for community. I actually think it's the opposite. You have to really work hard to seek community. And I felt that I'd probably, after uni and after leaving my football team, I'd lost my London community a bit. So I wanted to find, I thought if I could get into coaching and find a club, I could um, I could find a community, I suppose. So I saw something online, which was an ad for the, 100 FC program which is um, a collaboration I think between the London FA, the Amateur FA and the Middlesex FA and it was to get 100 female coaches um, through a minimum of a level one badge and I think aiming up to a UA for B badge and I applied for that, got on that course, did my did my level one and um, like you say I dived in straight away with Dalmain um, Athletic. I've been there three and a half years now I think, um, coached with them, coached various um, various other places in schools, breakfast clubs, coached at the London Youth Games with the Lewisham team. Um, I'm getting into coaching women a little bit um, at the older age groups. Um, yeah, and that's that's got us to to this point. Tell us a little bit about then your sort of, you briefly touched on it right at the beginning, before you got into coaching, your kind of first interactions with the game of football. You said you played. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I played. So I played... Um, when I was a kid in, in Newcastle, a lot of my family played. Everyone watched the game. I think I probably started playing when I was about eight or nine properly when um, I think it was my friend's cousin's dad, some tangential link like that, um, set up a 
boy session, but they said girls can come along. And that was the first I'd kind of heard of, oh, cool. I can go and actually play this properly with a group of people. So we did that for, I think, about six months. And then one of the girls that was that was there, her dad, um, obviously saw there was probably a market for a girls team there. And he ran one of the local boys teams. So he set up a girls team for us. Um, and then, and I actually, when I look back, I think how lucky I was, um, what was this, 15, 20 years ago to actually, what we then found was there was a massive league of girls teams in Newcastle at the time, we would all gather on a Saturday, I think four or five different age groups, eight or 10 uh, teams in each age group, which is just brilliant when I think about actually how a lot of places don't even have that right now. Um, so yeah, played there, played at home up until I was 18, moved to London, um, took some time off for some health issues, but I got back involved with um, a team in the London divisions, Tower Hamlets. I think I played there for two or three years um I'm a defender um yeah and then I suppose time life made me kind of stop playing um for a little while before I came back into coaching and now I just play really casually at five aside and you you mentioned it there that um you know 15 20 years ago when you started I mean from a, a just to sort of fill in for those people who might be listening in you know the USA or Canada or, or Scandinavia um you know that that's you know they are they are women's soccer hotbeds and were 15 20 years ago but in england of course you know still suffering the hangover of that long ban on women's football which was put in place in the 1920s and carried on into the 1970s so you know by you know the turn of the millennium you know yeah women's football wasn't as big in in england as it is now no and i think probably if i put it in more context and i know i reference this in an article i wrote i remember going to um a game in the women's top division at the time it was Everton v Sunderland um and I was I think one of about 12 people on the sideline and I sat next to Farrah Williams in the pub later and we ate sausage rolls together and Rachel Unit was there I think Jill Scott might have been there massive names now and we see what the you know what the women's game has has grown to now in the UK but back then it was yeah 12 people standing freezing cold on a on a sideline and a barely kind of playable pitch and then going to the the pub after for a buffet so that's probably where it was on in terms of the women's game when I was getting I suppose such a good opportunity to play as a as a young girl in Newcastle and that links us nicely actually into what you, uh, the project you talked about 100 FC which um, we covered actually in one of the early editions of women's soccer coaching it's about getting 100 uh, women into into the uh, onto the initial ladder if you like of coaching in and around the London area and that perhaps signifies doesn't it that there is still a dearth of females in coaching in 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 England yeah absolutely and actually I think I don't know the exact number but it was maybe London had 20 or 30 coaches at the time this program was set up female coaches and that was maybe one or two three percent of the number of male coaches they actually had and I think actually you have to think it's probably even more advanced in London than it is in the rest of the country. Um, that was obviously three, four years ago when the scheme was set up. So now I don't think they've quite hit 100, but I think they've hit maybe 60, 70 uh, women through the programme, like I say, getting a minimum of their first FA badge and really improved that massively. But I think there's still a really long way to go in terms of, one, getting more female coaches, but two, making sure that they don't just get that first badge and that's it, that we're giving them opportunities to to progress through the um through the other badges and through other experiences as well. 
And is there a parallel to be drawn with with playing? We often talk about, you know, if you you, you can't be it unless you can see it, if you like. Um, so the more females who play under female coaches, although a lot of teams in England have male coaches, but the more female coaches are visible, the more female players are going to want to, to to take up that career path in the end. Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's actually something I didn't realise I was so lucky to experience as a kid as well. I actually had two female coaches during my time um, playing and I hadn't realised how rare that was. But I think a lot of interviews that I've done, particularly on the Women's Soccer Coaching podcast, reference just that, Andrew, that, yeah, look how brilliant the growth is in the women's game. But actually, we need to see women in coaching, in refereeing, in strength and conditioning, in general manager positions, um, to you know, for young girls and young women to know that, that they can do that. Um, and I think actually as well, for me, the 100 FC programme, it took that barrier down a little bit for me and it said actually hang on we've made this space just for women because women can do it and we'll get women majority of women delivering on this course for you majority of women supporting on this course for you so I think it's also about making sure we're creating safe spaces for women to to progress and develop in the game let's uh let's bring it back to you um and when it comes to coaching then what are you most passionate about what what drives you I think making sure that as many people as possible get to play the game in whatever way they wish. And by that, I mean, if they want to use the game for an hour-long kick about a week and it's a chance for them to be social and it's a chance for them to not think about what's going on in, you know, in other areas of their life and they don't care if they win or if they play well or anything, there's a space for them. But then if there's someone that wants to really progress in the game and develop in the game and win and go to a high level there's a space for them so I want yeah that's probably what I'm most passionate about and I think also I don't want to sound cheesy but I've always seen sports as really kind of a a mirror to what life actually is so a lot of the challenges that you face in sports a lot of the things that you overcome the dedication that you have to put in and um, I'm particularly passionate about working with um, young people young women particularly and I think it's really important for me that they learn a lot of life skills through what the game can give them. Um, because, and, and everyone says it, and, you know, it's a very limited percentage of the people that we coach that are going to go on to play the game professionally or even semi-pro. So actually I think it's really, really important that we're making sure we're looking after them on the emotional side, on the psychological side, and we're preparing them for whatever life might look like beyond them. You know, in my case, them being 14 at the minute and, you know, seeing me three or four hours a week and getting to play with a team that they love, like what can they learn from that to take forward? How do you draw the balance then between, you know, making sure that they are, they can have the fun and, and keeping the fun in, in sessions, but also obviously taking it seriously. Now we know there's an issue sometimes with some coaches taking it too seriously, thinking too much about the last match and the next match and, you know, targets, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, there's got to be some behavioural standards in there. You know, you've got to try and teach the kids to to take them to the next stage of whatever, wherever they're at. So how do you draw that balance between sort of fun and, you know, making sure they're taking it relatively seriously too? I think if I'm being really honest, that's something I've, um, I constantly struggle with. And it's, it's probably one criticism I would have of, um, coaching courses is that or or particularly the level one is that you learn I learned so much about how you might go and deliver a session but 
some of these things around behaviors or situations you might have to manage weren't covered I suppose in massive depth I suppose the other argument is until you face them you don't you don't actually know how you're gonna you're gonna deal with them but um I think yeah it's something I'm really developing with I don't think it's in my nature to be strict or to be firm and it's something I'm really having to to teach myself to do um I actually have my partner works in youth work and is, has no problem doing that so she comes and observes me sometimes and gives me feedback on maybe what I could do differently um we talk a lot about boundaries not being a negative thing for young people and for children how they actually need them to exist within and also how the most important thing I think is is clarity so um I suppose a few of the things I've kind of consciously put in is one talking to the players about actually how's first of all how's your day been I think there was one session recently where every we've got maybe five six different schools every school came in I've had I've had two exams today I've done this I've done this and then immediately I know okay you're probably not in the headspace nor should you nor should I encourage you to be in the headspace to have to really focus here so how can I think about how your behavior is gonna um I suppose gonna be after that what do you need is probably just a space to decompress how can I build that for you um that was probably one example of me me adjusting to where they're at, but also asking them, you know, what do you want to learn? So what did you take away from this game? What do you think we can look at? Then if they've helped to make that decision, I have more power, I suppose, to say to them, look, this is what you said we wanted to, you wanted to look at. This is what I've put on for you. Um, let's go with it. Tell me if it's not working. I think that's actually been really important for me as well. I did a session the other day and it was awful and uh, I was getting filmed and I was like, of course, of course, this is the time. Anyway, I'm quite honest about, I don't think I did that very well. Actually, I'm going to be honest with you that I don't think I did that very well. So I'm also going to say to you when I don't think you've done things very well, and I don't mean in a football sense, I mean in a behavior sense. Um, That's something that I'm working on. I think also, and um, I wrote about this as well, setting a code of conduct and code of conduct I'm not particularly sure I like the phrase but I, I suppose it's one people will know what it means but understanding what the values are of your players and your team but working that out with them so I really think it's pointless for any coach to show up and say I expect you to behave this way and this way and this way no one responds well to that so I think working with players to understand how they want to behave how they want their teammates to behave how they want me and my fellow coaches to behave, how they want their parents to behave and anyone else who's maybe involved in that that equation. Um, so that's been quite important as well. And I think probably the final thing I'd say is understanding that everyone requires a different approach and learning more about who the players are as individuals, what's going on in their lives and actually, oh, this player really doesn't like it if I you know, were to tell them off in front of the group. Let's just pull them over. Let's have a let's have a chat. Let's do that individually. Whereas they don't mind. They know they're being silly. I can have a quick word with them in front of the group. That's fine. So so learning that as well. I think, and I know I've just said last thing, but but one more thing. I think something I didn't anticipate when I went in was um, when I first started coaching. I think I thought I'm coaching kids. I'm the adult. I'll know I'm the adult. They can do whatever, and I won't feel any way about it. Actually whatever kids do 
what kids say to you it can hurt just as much as if an adult says to you you can have a you can have a similar reaction to if a, if a kid is pushing your buttons um so it's been really important for me to reflect on that I think strip some of that back and actually think about actually how do I act as an adult in this situation but also recognize that I might have some emotions around what they're doing um or or how they're behaving um and also just making sure I'm trying to meet them at how they're feeling rather than how they're behaving so rather than me saying you know why did you kick the ball over there that was so blah 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 that was so annoying I didn't want you to do that I'm saying I've noticed that you're maybe behaving in a different way today are you feeling okay and then they know everything I'm doing is coming from a place of care so I sound like it works perfectly it doesn't but those are some of the things that I've um that I've been working on it sounds good and 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 I'm interested to pick up on a few of those things actually um particularly what you said at, almost at the beginning of that answer about the fact that you said your partner kind of you know gives you bits of feedback on on things but obviously she's not involved in the game so we talk don't we and a lot of coaches talk about getting feedback from other coaches and talking to each other and watching other people's sessions and um maybe even taking things from other sports but what can also be learned from external people people outside the game people who might be in the educational sector for example if you're if you're coaching kids you know it's important i guess to get a breadth of views on how you manage people as people rather than just as footballers yeah i think it's really massive um and i think probably going back to my point about um the badges you know it took me i don't know how three saturdays maybe to do my level one badge and then there I am standing in front of 20, 11, 12 year olds, whatever it was at the time. My partner's gone through 12 years of experience in youth work to get to where she is. And that's been the sole focus of her training. People that work in education have a lot more training than us, I think, on the behavioral side of things. So I think actually whatever we can take from them, we should and we shouldn't really let pride get in the way of that. And I think also to, you know, to your point about them not knowing the game, I mean, she says to me, She'll give me feedback and say sometimes, but I don't know the football context. So actually try and adapt it to that. But also sometimes it's great that she doesn't know the football context because we need to be open to bringing fresh ideas in that I think don't necessarily exist. Well, I'm sure they exist within football some somewhere, but we need to be open to bringing ideas in that aren't more traditional approaches, I suppose, within football. Um, so yeah, she's she's helped me massively on in terms of working with a, a group of young women. Um, and I think I'm definitely open to um, even things like it sounds silly, projecting my voice more. I'm talking to someone that um, is an actor about how I can use my voice better. Um, I have a, re- have a real trouble getting my voice across the whole pitch. So I want to improve on that. I think that's important thing for me to be able to do. So I think I, w- I would say to coaches like, you know, just because you ask someone doesn't mean you have to take their advice. Um, you need to. I suppose analyze that and think about how that fits with you but I think we should be open to learning from other coaches but learning from all other um I suppose skill sets as well and that it's not a a, a sign of weakness to, to to ask for that help no no not in not in any way um I again I'll say cheese again but I think it's a sign of strength and I always see it as actually I'm here to make sure these young people get the best experience therefore it's actually my duty to make sure I'm doing the right things to improve myself for them and I think when you do that and you make it about the players not about you it's actually a lot easier to 
remove maybe whatever you're feeling about asking for that help. You've also talked about, um, you know, how you like to kind of empower the players to 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 kind of own elements of of sessions and things like that. Um, that sounds like it's very important to you. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's important, I think, to do it in different ways. And it probably goes back to my point as well about understanding different players, what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with. Um, those, for example, one thing that we did recently. So the space that we work in, and I'm sure many coaches will um, identify with this. When we play matches at the end, we can't have all the players um, on the pitch. So we usually split into three or four teams and then we rotate who's who's playing. Each team that was off, we gave them a whiteboard. We gave, you know, team A, they had to watch team one, team B, they had to watch team two play. We said, okay, think about what we've seen and what we've done in the session today. We want you to come up with three things that are going really well for this team and three things that they could improve on. And then we'll come back and we'll do like a half time. You can feed back to them. And then after that, you can see if they take your feedback on board. Um they all responded to it in different ways. Some people loved doing the whiteboard stuff, but didn't want to speak. Some people loved the speaking, didn't want to do the writing. But I thought, you know, one is really great opportunity for them to, if they want to practice speaking to a group um, and talking about life skills. Two, it probably gives them a bit more appreciation of maybe what I'm doing or I'm trying to do as a coach, what it feels like for me when I'm standing in front of them. And three, like you say, it was them taking ownership and then being able to, um, work out how to speak to each other in a way that was constructive and respectful, um, but also helped to, I suppose, push them push them forward. Um, but it also, I, I felt like it improved team spirit and, and team bonding um, when they were doing that. And I saw them respond to each other in different ways. Um, I was listening to someone the other day that said, I think up until about 12 or 13 um, kids, like adults, they want to they want to make sure they please adults and they do the right thing by adults. There's that switch at 13 or 14 and actually it's their peers and what are they doing to do that? So actually we, I suppose, in that session made that switch a little bit and some of the stuff just really resonated better, I think, when it came from all of them. So um, yeah, that was that's probably an example of what you're talking about and it was really brilliant for me to be able to step back and just facilitate that, but then let them, I suppose, do the work and make some discoveries for themselves. So Steph, you're a you're a FA level one at the moment. Although I know you are trying to get on your A4C, and the pandemic hasn't helped with all that. But um, you know, you so you haven't got years and years of coaching experience to fall back on. But just in terms of taking courses and adapting your your own style around it, how do you think you've changed in in that time since you since that very first session? Yeah, you learn from experience. You learn what works for you. You learn what you're comfortable with. You go through a lot of trial and error and you know what, that's just not, I'm not just talking about, you know, the hour a week when you're delivering or two hours a week, whatever. It's actually what happens before that, what happens after that, everything around it. Um, So I think over the years, when I think back probably to my first session I ever delivered um, to the sessions that I'm delivering now, they've changed massively. I think the core principles have, have remained the same of trying to make sure that players have you know, have fun primarily um, and to make sure that they're always moving, they're always active, they're always involved. I really, I really believe in that quite a bit. But um, I think, yeah, I think you do adapt your own style. And I think that's really important as well. And I, I think probably, you know, my first six months after doing my badge, I thought, 
well, what do I know? I need to stick to actually 100% everything that I was taught. And then I was like, hang on, they've given me a framework, but they want me to do with that what I think is best. Because actually, what what's the use if we're all just doing exactly the same thing? Um, I need to put my own spin on that. Um, so yeah, I think it does it does develop. The more you coach, um, the more you get to know who you're coaching, um, the more you coach in different environments, then I think the the more you learn. You've spoken to to dozens of coaches, um, from the elite to the grassroots for our podcast, both Soccer Coach Weekly and Women's Soccer Coaching. Um, you'll have taken a number of different things from them, I imagine. You'll have learned a lot from the people you've spoken to. Yeah, an incredible amount, actually. And I am... Um... I call it my CPD, to be honest. Um, I don't. <laughs> hopefully, we're making something great for lots of coaches, but for me, it's just so useful to have the ear of you know one or two coaches a week and and ask them ask them questions. Um, some of the main things I've learned, I think, I suppose actually one thing I find so encouraging is that every coach I've spoken to, there's a unifying theme of them. Um, really wanting, really being player focused, which is obviously a massive focus now, being so passionate and, you know, excited about working with their teams and making sure they're getting the the best out of it. Um, I think lessons, probably some that have really stuck with me. Um, I did an interview with Tom Hartley, who's with UK Coaching, um, really brilliant guy and, and a great podcast, uh, in my, in my opinion, but Tom was speaking about, and actually this goes back to your point about badges and the difficulty I think sometimes people have getting onto badges. Um, Tom was speaking about, I suppose, how you can be more proactive about your coach development. And I've just actually said player focused there, but Tom was also speaking about being coach focused. Um, so it was looking at um, IDPs, individual development plans, but for coaches, you know, where are you? Where do you want to get to? What can we put? in the middle there to help you get there um a lot of the things that I suggested I go away and try as well so one thing Tom suggested was ask your players what they think of you so I did that I gave my players a massive sheet of paper and they all wrote notes about what they thought of me and that's something I would really really recommend um to a lot of coaches I think if if you're brave enough um then then go and do that um I think probably on the topic of kind of personal development, um, Sarah Loudon that I spoke to, fellow Geordie, which which always helps. But the main thing I remember from hers was if you're in if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. I know a lot of people say that, but she had she had lived that uh, for, through all of her experiences, and now she's an assistant coach at the Houston Dash. Um, and you know what? I I could message her now, and she responds. And I just thought, how awesome that you've you've risen all the way up, and actually you're still kind of keen to support um coaches it's probably another thing that's come through is what a community actually is and how much people want to support and help and I've had numerous offers of come come see my session just let me know if you want to you know come along and or just message me if you want some support so I think the coaching community is is brilliant and then um I suppose some of the things that I feel I'm lacking in a technical sense because I haven't necessarily progressed through the badges yet um I've really got some brilliant advice um from coaches i think sam hudson was someone i talked to about defending we did one recently with uh, michael wright on 1v1 dominance which was great so yeah massive amounts of of advice um i could name many more how easy has it been for you if you indeed you've got there yet if it's the finished article to, to form a philosophy of your own you know how have you gone about doing it 
Um, I think probably I realised not to overthink it. I think I was trying to form a philosophy and I thought it had to be this kind of work of art. Um, and then I think it was Ali Speechley that I had on the podcast. She just said, well, you just need to ask yourself why. And then you can just ask a few more whys and then you'll probably get there. Um, so that was how I went around doing it. So why do I want to coach? And it goes back to probably the three the three reasons that I mentioned at the start um, about getting into the 100 FC program. The most prominent one now, I think, is working with young people. Community is still very much in there because we've built a brilliant community, I think, with their parents and families as well. So I mainly coach to work with and to support young people. Um, and to make sure that they, yeah, they get an opportunity to um, express themselves um, in a in a really safe space. Hopefully, that's what I'm providing. And I think once I had that, then the rest of it kind of goes from there. To be honest. Now, um, in an issue of Soccer Coach Weekly back in May, you wrote very openly and honestly about uh, the mental health. Uh, battles that you've been through um, uh, and how that's impacted your coaching. Firstly, how do you think your experiences have shaped not only who you are as a person, but also who you are as a coach? Um, I think massively. Um, and I think, yeah, I could, I'll speak really openly about it because um, I think this is probably something a lot of coaches are seeing is the number of young players or players of all ages that we're seeing struggle with their mental health is pr is pretty large um and I think it, being really honest I've I've looked at some of my players and thought wow you know I can see what you're going through because I feel like I had similar at, at your age um and it's yeah how horrible for you that that's what you're dealing with right now um, so I suppose I'm not saying that anyone's situation is, is the same because it's absolutely not. But I suppose I feel it's given me a little bit um, more of a level of understanding. Um, sometimes when I'm when I'm speaking to players, when I'm working with players, um, I think also the game of football, we all know how much people can get into it and the levels it can take us to. Um, and I think there's two sides of that. One, football was so important for me in so many ways when I was growing up in dealing with my mental health. Sometimes it was a difficult space for me in terms of my, my mental health. But two, I think also it helps me be measured because some of the things I've probably gone through with my mental health, I can be in a football situation. And I'm like, come on, Steph, it's not that serious. Like, look at everything else that's that's going on. And I think it probably grounds me um in that way so yeah I think I think it's really shaped who I am I'm super aware I think of the mental health of my players and also really feel I don't want to say an obligation um because I don't think it should ever be an obligation for anyone but I, I really feel it's important that I am open about that and they feel that they can be open about that because not to make it about me but that's something I was missing when I was a child someone showing you that it's okay to do that and there actually is support there um if you do that so yeah massively important to me and I, and I think it's had a massive impact on me as a coach and 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 when it comes to interacting with players particularly young women as as you do um for coaches whether they've experienced their own mental health um battles or not you know how important is it to bear in mind what's beneath the surface because you mentioned earlier you you know you, there's a, you, a lot of players including your own players you know who you can recognize that in but there'll be a lot of players 
who and a lot of young people who are going through it in silence. And you've got to identify that as well. Yeah, completely. I think the first thing is probably um, not to assume anything. Um, we all know as adults, like I don't know whether it's a work meeting and you've had the most horrendous day and you've got to show up and put a face on to get through that work meeting. We all know as adults, sometimes the things we have to do to maybe hide what's going on. And if you think about it, if you're a um, if you're a young person and you don't really know how to deal with those emotions, you might be you might be doing that even more. So I think not assuming anything is really important. Um, I think whole, I really like the phrase holding the space for someone. Um, I think sometimes it's quite it's not always the best idea to probe. If you think, you know, if you think something's going on, I'll, you know, I'll take that from my therapist. Sometimes he says to me, I'm, I don't ask you the direct question because I don't know if you're ready, but the space is here if you are. So a lot of the time, I think it's making sure that you are setting up a space where they know if they do want to talk about something, then you would be open to that. Um, I think as well, and I do it all the time, I often put pressure on myself. Have I said the right thing? once they've come to me and then I have to kind of go backwards and say one I don't think there's any right thing in anything in in any you know any one right thing um but two I think if you're worried about whether you're saying the right thing or not it's more about listening it's more about making sure that you've you know you've got the ear there for them um I would say as well though it's important that you know um what to do with that if you do have it I mean, obviously, I'm talking about safeguarding if there are any risks and what the processes are within your club and your and your leagues and stuff. But also that, you know, it can be really heavy. It can weigh on you sometimes if there's things going on with your players that are really difficult and you you really feel that. So that, you know, how you can manage that as well, because your mental health, whether you have mental health um, concerns about yourself or not, your mental health is is incredibly important in that as well. Yeah, it's 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 a very important uh, topic, obviously. Um, now you've 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 kind of covered this question a little bit in in your answers to several different questions, but finally, what do you think needs to change in the arena of coaching? What what areas do you think coaches need more support in? You know, are there are there things that maybe you know is just left unsaid that need saying? Um, I think. I don't think I'm probably going to raise anything that people aren't aware of, but um, I think, and it's something that I think people are really pushing for, the idea that we um, coach, particularly, a, you know, a kid's team on a Saturday or a Sunday grassroots level and should be pushing to win is a really outdated idea, in in my opinion. Um, I think the pressure that we're putting on, kids and young people we really need to think about that I think there are so many brilliant coaches in the game but I think and I'll be really honest about this I think there are also coaches that are maybe carrying some ego um from when they were young and when they were a player and they don't know how to get past that when actually they're they're working with kids so I want to see much better behavior I suppose from coaches and much better role modeling and that doesn't mean we have to be perfect because also we're humans and we're going to have human reactions and also kids need to see that on the mental health side of things one of the interviews we did was a brilliant interview with Brian Murphy, who was um, just really brave and um, yeah, great in speaking about his mental health experiences. And I remember doing that and thinking, 
wow, this is the most open anyone's ever been with me about this on this podcast. This is so important. Um, But I wish it wasn't just Brian, and that's not to say anyone has to talk about it, but that's just to say I wish the culture was more open, um, that more people could talk about it. I think we're getting there, but I think there is still a long way to go. And that goes for issues, I think, around um, sexuality, around race, obviously around gender, um, making sure that we're creating spaces. So going back to my, I suppose, first point about why every where everyone can play. Um, but also, it's not just about, you know, here's a club, I'm going to advertise for a female coach to come in. It's about have I got the right system for them to come into where they're going to be supported, where they're going to get the right training, um, where they're comfortable. Um, and the same goes for, yeah, any other kind of characteristics. Um, so I think just on the whole, coaching being a, a nicer place, I think goes back to the mental health thing. But I ask coaches a lot how they switch off from coaching. And one theme that comes through a lot is how absorbing it can be, particularly if like most coaches are you're a football fan as well because a lot of the time what you're doing is you're watching football you're playing football you're coaching football you're sending a message about football because you've got people to talk to about it and um you might love it but I don't think you could (laughs) I don't think even if you love something so much you should do it 100% of the time so um I think the culture of coaches having to do that to get somewhere is changing but I think that probably needs to change quicker um to make sure that coaches are are you know the healthiest they can be um yeah and then I think I suppose just at the grassroots level where I'm at it's just making sure that we can get coaches the support they need in terms of developing their skills and um, whether that be technical and tactical or whether that be confidence building and in, in dealing with groups or anything like that just making sure that people get the support they need because I think probably too often we're seeing people enter the game and then drop out of it again so actually if we've done the hard work to get them into it why aren't we we keeping them in it no that's excellent Steph no well thank you so much for for joining us not just uh on this pod but for joining us uh as a as a, as a fully fledged staff member now fascinating insight uh from you on this and uh and a happy new year, I should say, as well. And enjoy the rest of 2023 with us. Thank you, Andrew. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we look forward to, to hearing uh, who you've got coming up on the on the pods. That's, uh, of course, uh, both the, this podcast, the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast, which you can hear Steph on uh, every Friday, and the Women's Soccer Coaching podcast on the second Wednesday of every month. And if you go to uh, the two websites, uh, soccercoachweekly.net and womenssoccercoaching.com, you can find all of uh, Steph's previous podcasts and interviews all on there. Various people, the women's soccer coach you won, um, Jonathan Heraldez, who's the Barcelona women's manager, and Lisa Fallon, and lots of top names, the Aston Villa head coach, Carla Ward, um, people from uh, Manchester United and Manchester City academies, lots of big names on there. Soccer Coach Weekly podcast, uh, some ter- terrific up-and-coming young coaches, grassroots coaches, uh, so there's a full gamut on there that you can listen to thank you to you for listening to this one don't forget you can get the soccer coach weekly magazine direct your inbox every friday subscribe via our website soccercoachweekly.net where you can also find practice plans advice interviews and much much more i'm andrew rayburn thanks once more for listening join us again soon here on the soccer coach weekly podcast <laughs>